You are listening to an audio broadcast from the Charlottesville Vineyard Christian Church. A couple of days ago, Megan was uh, downstairs while I I think I was in the middle of writing the sermon. And um, she was watching a celebrity special on Haiti. Anybody else see that? It's a a telethon to raise money for Haiti relief efforts. And... um, she came up, she came up sort of towards the middle of it, and I could see on her face almost immediately that, you know, her eyes were sort of welled up and cheeks were extra rosy, and I could tell that she had been crying. And um, she just, you know, just went on to tell me this, some of the stories that they were telling in this, this program about, you know, this little boy who was rescued after eight days, buried under, under rocks and building structures. And um, other stories about other people who, you know, children who are abandoned, not necessarily abandoned, but orphaned now. Um, all the just horrendous stories that are coming out of, of Haiti. And, um, you know, we started talking about, gosh, you know, we just wish there was something more we could do. Like, you know, because we're happy to give money to, to Mercy Response, but it feels like, gosh, we just really want to be there and, and helping in some way. And, you know, I don't have <laughs> very many skills to go, like, nurse or doctor these people back to health or um, whatever the case may be. So, um, you know, we just talked about that. And, and you could see in, in both of us, we were just sort of tearing up that there was a lot of compassion and this um, really overwhelming desire to do something about it. Um, so that's just, you know, this this sense that this this longing that I think we all have, generally speaking, when when something goes wrong around us, when we see somebody suffering, um, many of us will... Not all the time, because sometimes we're desensitized, but but oftentimes, you know, that, that sort of desire in our hearts will well up and we'll feel this strong urge to go help. Um, another story, I remember, it must have been about nine years ago now, Megan and I, after we first got married, we were at a, um, a conference, and um, there was a table outside this conference. It was a Compassion International table, and um, some of you may be familiar with Compassion, Compassion uh, helps children around the world, and especially in third world um, poor nations, um, providing, you know, you basically adopt a child, and they provide uh, schooling for that child. They provide some, um, you know, basic food, shelter, that sort of thing, make sure that they are set up well to survive and thrive wherever they're at. So Megan and I, about nine years ago, we walk out of this conference. We're like, yeah, God's so cool, you know, because it was a, I don't know if it was a worship conference or what it was, but um, we see this compassion table and we're looking at all the faces of these children just laid out. And, uh, you know, we just both felt compelled like, Hey, we've got the space in our budget. Um, it's a great opportunity for us to help somebody who's, you know, just who's, um, not really well off. And, uh, so as we were looking, we see all these smiley, happy faces, like, wow, this kid's so cute. Or look at that one. You know, she's so beautiful. Um, and suddenly it just struck me as we're looking at these faces, you know, how do we choose? How do we choose which child um, to make a difference in their lives? And I think it was God. I think God just spoke to me and said, you know what? Choose the least. Choose the least of these. And um, suddenly I just looked at Megan and I was like, you know, I think we really need to find the child here that looks like they're the least happy. Looks like they're the one that everybody else is going to look over. You know, they're the one that uh, when people are picking up the the smiley, shiny face, that's the one they want. Uh, we wanted to choose the one that just didn't look like he or she was going to get anybody. And so that's what we did. We found um, 
little regatu. And for nine or ten years now, we've been supporting her. We've been in communication, writing letters to her, keeping up with her grades and encouraging her. And she's been encouraging us. And, you know, she's, I want to say, about 14 right now. And um, it's just been an amazing ride to to be be a part of her life, even though it's just sort of pen pals at this point um, for such a long time. And, you know, I think going back to both of those stories, the, the story about Megan feeling that urge to help in Haiti and, and, and us both deciding we needed to go after the least of, of these children and, and pursue her, um, you know, just shows that every now and then God will break through into our hearts. He'll speak to us and, and, and show us things um, about his heart for others that, that he calls us to, to, to get involved in. Um, <clears throat> He, he often lets us feel what he's feeling for other people. Uh, we talked about this in, in one of our small groups earlier this week, this, this idea of seeing somebody, whether it's out in the street or um, in a hospital, whatever the case may be, who's suffering, who's having a hard time. And, uh, you know, you look at them and, um, you know, just this great longing of, and, and desire and this compassion comes over you. And you just feel like, ah, I want to help them. I want to do something for them. And I think God does that to us often. Um, and every now and then God gives us this opportunity to, to be a part of restoring someone else's dignity, their hope, uh, their humanity. And we either step up and take action or we, we let it pass by us. We let that opportunity pass by us. Um, we've been in a series uh, called restoration people. And, um, this series specifically, uh, ties very, very, um, very closely into our hope and our passion for Vineyard. Um, you know, some may even call it part of the, the vision for, for Vineyard. Um, the first week, we, we, we walked through the big picture of, of God's story from the beginning, his, his relationship between the relationship between God and humanity. We, we talked through um, the creation narrative and uh, subsequent major events throughout history and how God throughout since the fall has been working to restore humanity at the individual level, which is what we talked about the second week, at the community, the body level, the, the church, at the church level, to restore his image in the church. And today, uh, the final of this series, we're, we're talking about restoring his image in the world, um, restoring all of creation. So... Uh, you know, the first question I asked is, as I was, uh, and, and when I say I asked, I, I spend time just talking to God during the week as I'm preparing these sermons. Um, so the first question I asked was, well, Lord, what is a, you know, what does a restored creation look like? What, you know, what does that mean? And, um, you know, one of the things he, he took me to is the creation narrative again. So I'm going to get into that a little bit today. Um, but in general, I'll just sort of summarize some of the thoughts on this. One, a restored creation, including humanity, looks like... Um, humanity being good stewards of the earth and everything in it, right? And I'll go into that in a little bit. Um, number two, it looks like the relationship between humanity and God is, is repaired. It's completely restored. Um, this, is, this comes down to us as individuals being image-bearing people, right? And it also comes down to, uh, to God's people to point others towards Jesus, right? So that relationship for all of humanity is restored to God. And then the third thing is um, is that relationships within humanity are repaired and restored. And especially, and we'll dig into this a little bit more, the outcasts, the powerless, the marginalized, those who absolutely must depend on others to survive. It's clear throughout Scripture that God desires 
um, for those people to not be to no longer be marginalized, but be pulled into um, a place of, of healing and restoration. So let's let's take a closer look at, at each of those. And um, I'll start the first couple off with, with kind of looking at the creation narrative. And we'll, we'll work through the council, the whole council of Scripture. Um, well, that could take hours and hours, but at least a little bit of the council of Scripture on, on some of these. Okay, so the first thing um, is God's mandate to humanity. As you look at the creation narrative, um, God uh, tells Adam and Eve that he desires for them to fill the earth, subdue the earth, and rule over all of it. Uh, this is in Genesis 1 through 3, so if you're interested in, in following along, I'll um, put references out there, and you're welcome to open up that Bible of yours. Or if you don't have one, we do have some out in the hallway, and you're welcome to take one. Um, so you have this this command, this, this, uh, this charge, if you want to call it that, uh, to humanity to take care of his creation at the very beginning, right? Um, and you see in the you see allusions in the garden to these sort of symbiotic relationships uh, between humanity and the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, and so forth. Um, it's it's not uh, it doesn't look much like it does today. Um, and then a little bit later in Genesis, you see the story of Noah, and of course in that story we all probably remember from childhood that there's two of every animal, right? Does everyone remember that those, those animals? Yeah. <laughs> Some of you may have seen Evan Almighty. That's kind of a good example of every other every animal. Um, so his desire, God clearly in 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 trying to basically restart creation, is um, is to make sure that all the animals are cared for. Every single uh, animal in his creation is cared for. So he brings two, male and female, of every one. So clearly, you see this um, this picture of God uh, throughout history especially in the early stories of, of God and his people, um, having a focus and a care and a concern for uh, all of his creation, not just humanity. And then, you know, you fast forward, wow, <laughs> millennia to um, pictures of the new heaven and new earth. And you'll find this throughout the Old Testament, some of the prophetic um, scriptures. You'll find it also in the New Testament, these pictures of a new heaven, new earth, what that looks like, the relationships between humanity and, and God and, and the animals and the animal kingdom. And uh, there's particular verses throughout Scripture, which I think I may have mentioned a few weeks ago, that look at um, the lion laying with the lamb and other, you know, the, the infant is next to the, I think it's the viper or something like that. You know, these things that you wouldn't naturally think, wow, that's a good, let's put those two together and see what happens. That sort of thing you wouldn't do today, right? But um, this picture of the new creation, new heaven, new earth, has a lot of that stuff. A lot of really neat pictures of of all the animals in the animal kingdom hanging out together and not eating each other. Um, so there's this again. There's this fairly clear picture throughout the scriptures of of humanity living symbiotically with nature, and uh, it's hard to reconcile that with with a lot of what we see today. We see um, just a, a few examples: animal cruelty. You know, we're all probably very familiar with the whole um, dog fighting thing with Michael Vick several years ago. He's just now entering the NFL again. Um, you know, just that's just that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, there's a lot of that happening, you know, around the country, around the world. Um, we're probably familiar with um, the idea of sport hunting. You know, I, I'm not going to condemn hunting in general, but we go out and we just shoot things for the sport of it. We don't necessarily need them to survive or thrive or we're not necessarily planning on eating these things, but we just shoot them for the sport of it. That's, you know, I don't think that's consistent with, and sorry for those sport hunting fans out there. Um, 
just not consistent with what we see in Scripture. Um, air, water pollution, you know, pouring byproducts or chemicals into our waterways, massive industrialized plants billowing toxic fumes into the air. Um, these things are hurting our environment. Um, deforesting indiscriminately. Uh, wasting energy and natural resources when we have the capacity to actually save a little bit of energy and not destroy these natural resources, which have a you know a certain lifespan. Um, there's tons of examples. I could go on and on and on, you know. Uh, one of the big discussions today is um, is global warming, right? Um, well, is that human cause? Is it uh, natural? I don't know. I don't have the answers. I'm not a scientist. But um, there's a lot of things happening in the world today that don't seem consistent with the with the picture that we see from creation on through the scriptures of God desiring for his people to interact, how he desires his people to interact with creation. Um, so I personally, I, I, I hear a call and I see in the scriptures a call for us to to take care, to be good stewards of his creation. Uh, the second thing uh, that I see in, you know what, I have some slides. Let's do that. Okay, the second thing I see in the scriptures about our call, humanity's call to uh, to be restoration people for the world is this picture of humanity in a deep and intimate relationship with God. And you see that, in, again, going back to, um, going back to uh, pre-fall, the creation narrative. Um, there's only two people, but still, everyone on earth has a relationship with God, right? Adam and Eve both have this relationship with God. Um, so it's, it's hard to necessarily draw all these implications from, from creation because there really were just two, two people before they got expelled. Um, but this is God's intent that all should know him. And we see that throughout the rest of scripture. Um, we see in the covenant with Abraham, which is also in early Genesis, I think it's 13. Uh, there's this expectation that Abraham and his descendants will be a blessing to all nations, all nations, right? Everyone, everywhere, not just his descendants, but all nations around. Um, Isaiah 45 says, turn to me and be saved. All you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. That doesn't mean just Israel. It doesn't mean just a few select people. God desires from the very beginning to restore all people everywhere into a relationship with him. And at the core of, of uh, the reason for even sending Jesus to be with us, to, to walk on earth, is that all barriers between God and all of humanity are overcome. And that's one of the core reasons why Jesus came, is to, is to tear down these barriers that separate God and humanity. Right? And he did that for everyone, not just a few select people. Um, you'll hear that throughout. It's, there's some theologians out there, some groups that really have gotten into uh, the Gnostic Gospels, you know, the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Judas and others, that will say, no, there's you know, this idea of, of limited... Um, Sorry, throughout this term, but limited atonement, uh, and that uh, you know, not not all are really eligible to be saved. Uh, now, I'm not talking. Well, I'm not even going to get into that. I'm not going to talk about Reformation or Reformed theology. Um, but nonetheless, it's obvious that in this world we're not there. We're not all in relationship with God, right? Uh, many people out there that we that we know, m- maybe some of us here, have been introduced uh, to Jesus, and we've decided we want to go elsewhere. Uh, many of us have been introduced to an imposter, honestly, somebody who claims Jesus but bears almost no resemblance to him. Many of us have probably seen those people, whether in our workplace or out on the streets, um, you know, just people that 
are telling you you got to follow Jesus, but then you look at their lives and you look at um, what they're the, the the gospel that they're talking about, and it's just off. It's just off. Um, many of us have had a choice, have have made the choice for and, and found satisfaction in other gods, and other idols. So it's obvious as you as you survey the the earth as it is today that all of humanity is not in a relationship with God, right? Okay, so that's the second thing I see is this picture of humanity in this this deep and intimate relationship with God. And the third thing, can we get it? There we go. Is as you look at Scripture, you see this this passionate God's passionate concern for the marginalized and the powerless. Um, if you open up any of the the books in the Old Testament, the law, the um, and some of the poetry, Psalms, uh, the the prophets. Um, you'll see that uh, over and over and over again, the widows, the orphans, the aliens, and the poor are mentioned. And even in the law, there are special provisions in the law, the Mosaic law, um, that says, you know, here's how you treat the widows, the fatherless, or the orphans, and the aliens. Um, It's it's there. It's all over the place throughout the Old Testament. Um, And in Jesus' day, and, and it's very clear that God cares for them immensely, immensely. They are very special to him, right? He's marginalized. And in Jesus' day, this takes the form of, of his compassion. Um, and it's expressed in his ministry to the poor, the sick, and even the demonized. So these are people that are marginalized in society. They are separated in many ways from uh, the rest of, of God's creation. Um, if you just look at, for instance, the first, the first 10 chapters of Mark. Uh, has anybody here read Mark before? Just bounced around through it. Um, the first thirteen, the first ten chapters. There's thirteen instances where uh, uh, where Mark is talking about how Jesus either healed many or healed a person, right? Just healing. So think about the basic idea behind healing. As you as you read through the Gospels and you see Jesus healing people, uh, what he's doing is restoring their restoring them, right? He's reversing uh, some of the effects of the fall of humanity. Right? He does this, um, there's a couple times in the New Testament where somebody is literally resurrected. They're dead, and they come back to life. And what's happening there, again, is this, this idea of reversing what's happened with the fall. Because what's one of the main curses in the fall? Death, right? Humanity is now going to face death. We're no good and evil, but we're also going to die. So when Jesus heals, and then I think it's, is it Peter, that also heals a dead person, Tabitha, um, that's reversing what's happened at the fall, right? Um, and these these people, obviously the dead are marginalized, right? But but the sick, the demonized, all these things we see throughout the Gospels are 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 Jesus uh, are are Jesus sort of pulling the marginalized back in back into uh, creation. Some of you may remember the story of um, and and I'm, I can't remember exactly where it is, but the leper who Jesus heals. And one of the first thing he tells this leper to do is go to the priest and uh, let them confirm that you're healed because the priest can decide whether or not that person, that leper needs to be separated from society or back together. And not until that person goes through the priest to, to be confirmed that he or she is healed, uh, can they actually be restored to the people. So Jesus, that's his desire, his longing, not just to heal them, but also that they're restored to relationship. And taken out of that position of being marginalized. 
um, not surprising, honestly, that most of the stories I hear when when I hear uh, stories of um, of dramatic healing or or um, casting out demons, those sorts of things, uh, most of the stories I hear are about things that happen somewhere in the third world, some missionary somewhere ran into this or that. There's witch doctors involved, and they prayed for God to heal or prayed for God to restore, and wow, some pretty dramatic things have happened. We don't see it as much here in this culture, but uh, not as many of us are marginalized, uh, experience the same depth of, of poverty as those in third world nations. I think we can probably accept that as, as a basic fact. Is that fair? All right. Okay, so uh, it doesn't surprise me that a lot of those stories happen in the third world today. And I've heard, I've heard others uh, that I really respect say, if you want to see, um, if you want to see God act powerfully in the world, go to the third world, go out in the mission field. So whether it's it's scripture or it's present life, it's clear that God intends for the marginalized to be restored. That to me is is very very obvious. Um, the world that we live in today, there's there's a heck of a lot of work to be done. Um, you look at uh, New Orleans just uh, several years ago. Um, what came out of that is we saw the disparity between rich and poor, or even between middle class and poor. Um, there's a lot to be worked on. Look at Haiti today. You know, one of the um, most poverty-stricken countries in the world, and that was before the earthquake, right? Can you imagine what things are going to be like in just a few months from now, a year from now? I mean, we could take action and we could change things, Absolutely. Um, think about all the abandoned children around. Think about the today's uh, slave trade. Did you know that there, the estimates are that 27 million people or so are in the slave trade today? That's more slaves than we've ever had in the history of the world are in slavery today. And we thought we got past that, right? Not so. There's injustice that happens all around us every day. Um, there's people living in need for basic life necessities all around us. And we see it here in Charlottesville as well. And if we want to be restoration people, we have to take action. That's what God, that's what he, call, he calls his church to, right? Is to be the people through whom he's going to restore the world, through whom he's going to love others. We're, the, we're to be the hands. The church is to be the hands of God in this world. And at Vineyard, this is part of our passion, is that we want to be a community that literally collectively rolls up our sleeves and gets busy doing this stuff. We want to do the work that God's called his people to engage in. So Vineyard, we want to be the roll up the sleeves people, right? We want to get skin in the game. Has anybody ever heard that phrase before? When I was in, um, when I was in high school, I played basketball. Well, I should say I sat on the bench a lot in basketball uh, my freshman year. And uh, one of the things our coach always talked to us about during practices was about getting skin in the game. And this meant, now, we would win a candy bar, which was exciting as a freshman. I don't know, maybe as a senior I would have been so excited about it. But as a freshman, I was excited because I could win a, a candy bar if I literally, like, took a hit so hard or dove for a ball and lost some skin in the process. So get some skin in the game, right? He was proud of us when we, you know, took action like that. So God calls us, maybe literally and figuratively, to put some skin in the game, calls us to action. So what are we to do? Well, three things, and, and you know, this is, is, I would like to take some time to actually talk this out, to break up into groups and, and talk about some of this stuff. But the three things are to take care of the earth, be wise stewards of God's creation. 
um, introduce people to the real, living, and powerful God and, and not be ashamed to do it. There's a lot of shame uh, in the church today uh, when it comes to talking about Jesus to other people who aren't part of his body. But not be ashamed to do it. And then also to restore the marginalized and the powerless, today's widows, orphans, aliens, and poor. In Matthew 25, just on that point, Jesus tells a story to his disciples. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed my by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or need clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. You notice that he uses that specific language of whatever you did for the least, right? So he's, again, referencing the marginalized, those in the world who are powerless, they're set aside. And we have to ask the question, who are today's widows, orphans, and aliens? Right? When we see something like this, it is very obvious God has a passion for them. And it's very obvious what we're called to do. I mean, he gives us it right here, right? Feed them, clothe them, give them shelter, give them drink, uh, visit them when they're in jail, that sort of thing. So we're called to action. We're called to restore dignity, to restore hope, and to restore well-being in the lives of others. And as a way of sort of summarizing the series as a whole, we're called to be restoration people. We're called to, uh, to uh, be a part of restoring our own lives, to get involved in that, to work on that, to work on our own lives, right? We're called to invite God into the process of restoring our own lives. Uh, we're called to, um, to restore relationships with God and with one another and to do that well to live in community in, in such a way that, um, that we're encouraging, comforting, strengthening one another, that, we are, um, that we're helping each other uh, restore the image of God in our lives. And then we as a community are, are, are living like the body that we see in, in the scriptures, that we are a people that work together well to do God's work. Um, one body, many parts, right? We all don't have the same thing. Uh, my hope and passion for Vineyard is that we have a variety. We have some diversity of, of gifts, of talents, of skills, of abilities, of backgrounds. Um, so we all bring something, right? And we're all not bringing a bunch of feet to a body, right? Because that's just not a very effective body. Um, so restoring relationships with God and one another, and then restoring the world, restoring everything to the image that God has always intended for us to be. And that's our passion. That's our hope for the Charlottesville Vineyard essentially to be restoration people.